Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, what was your secret that you told in the rebirth ceremony? Hmm. Oh, God. See, I feel like I have to actually take this seriously, man. That's a heavy question. To put in a podcast where I mostly... Make thirsty jokes about your car. I was looking for a joke, man. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> what secret? God, I don't know. Um, who I would pick between Jakar, General Kenobi, and Lawrence of Arabia? Say that with more confidence, please. God, I don't know. You're asking me a... a... Okay. my The secret that I told in the uh, funny outfit ceremony is that... Franklin's not actually that bad. I just I just hate him. It's just me. I just hate Franklin. I really hate truffles. Not the chocolate ones, but, Dude, but the ones that taste like socks. Me too. Truffle oil and fucking truffle risotto and truffle horse shit. It's all it's all horse shit. Somebody gave it's, me a giant bottle of truffle oil for like Thanksgiving Christmas or something. And you I too. just I I, I re-gifted that shit. Yeah, right? Who needs who needs enough truffle oil to last you into like the 31st millennium? Fuck no. You use like two drops at a time and you're just like, it's all you can taste. Nah. Nah. Truffle is a truffle is one of those things that rich people eat so they can <laughs> say that they put like truffle in it. Tonight we are discussing two episodes, the back end of our quadriptych, which is episodes 10 and 11. Severed Dreams and Ceremonies of Light and Darkness, where we um where we'll get a new status quo for the show. I believe we have the unfortunate pleasure of uh Jude for our first episode. Oh this yeah. Is gonna, this is gonna be a two-hour episode. Uh Jude, take this away. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh so Londo is in the customs line on the way back from, I don't know, harassing a nearby minor civilization or buying pillows embroidered with live, laugh, conquer, and selling essential oils to his Facebook friends. Karen Malari is bitching to an extremely uncomfortable human. When you're more racist than the white male human, really consider your place in life, Londo, and blames the slowdowns on the new Narn security forces. When he gets to the top of the line, who could be running it? Narns! Wouldn't you know it? And his ID isn't working. It's because we Narn security forces are so dumb and slow. Why don't you step out of line, Ambassador Malari? Malari wants to talk to the manager, but the Narn repeats his slander about Narns being stupid, so he has to stand there till the line is clear. It's not quite the same as bombing Centauri Prime back to the Stone Age, but as karma goes, it's still pretty satisfying. Uh, slightly less satisfying is watching General Haig's ship, the Alexander, get shot to shit. General Haig apparently has died, it's implied, and in command is a Major who doesn't get a name yet. The Major has to choose between ditching his pilots or shooting back with his aft laser. He picks the ladder, finally, after much agonizing, and they destroy the Clarkstown. It turns out he knew the commanding officer of the ship. 
He had a wife, three kids, an Abyssinian cat named Max. Presumably the wife and kids had names too, but now I guess we know the major is a cat person. Then he says something wild. This time, we know everyone we kill, which is true. Even in a war with Earth, the people fighting are often anonymous. But in this war, they are fighting uh, other Earth Force officers. They know everybody they're fighting, which is an interesting point. They set course for B5. Sheridan rolls up to the awkward CPK picnic table of togetherness and, sh and sedition, <laughs> where Ivanova and Garibaldi are waiting and tells them that in five hours, the Alexander, which we've just seen, is arriving. As Ivanova, the ever-eloquent, puts it, well, we're screwed. He tells them to put a cutout in the comm lines when they arrive so that they can make sure that word does not get out. Uh, just leave ISN, which is lucky. Grandpa just needs that cable news. Right? Uh, elsewhere, Lanier leads Franklin into a cargo bay where an injured Minbari ranger is in need of medical help. But they don't know which of the Narns they can trust, so they couldn't bring him through security to the med lab. They believe there are several bounty hunters chasing after him. Uh, so, so Lanier knows the word bounty hunter. Yes. Oh, no, Delenn says that. So Delenn okay. knows the word bounty hunter. It's just Marcus that can't apparently put those two together. The boys don't get to say bounty hunter. Yeah. Like the magical fucking creature that he is, Jakar just appears from stage left. Well, it's actually, it's actually downstage, right? Because down is back. I wasn't a theater kid. I don't know these directions. He just appears from behind a goddamn box and it's just like, ta-da, motherfuckers. And is like, oh, well, I know which ones to trust. I got you, fam. Picks up the ranger like he's an empty set of clothes and is just off. Can you carry him very far, Delenn asks. And like a goddamn god, Jakar answers, not a strained breath, not a dew drop of sweat, no exertion whatsoever, as far as you like. Because he's a goddamn god. Like he carries the show. Yes, like he carries the show. Thank you for that. Yes, precisely. Whew. Give me a minute. Okay. Do, do you need a? Do you need a? a cool fan towel? myself off here. Dry my brow. Whew. Okay. Anyway, from there we go to Sheridan and Ivanova on CNC, uh, watching ISN, where they learn that Mars has told Clark to stuff his martial law order under his multiple chins. Hey, season one callback. Sheridan looks worried by this. The two of them exchange worried glances. Then the Alexander arrives. Garibaldi cuts the lines and Sheridan gives a speech to the bridge staff. He's like, yes, motherfuckers, I know who that is. You got a problem? Take off. No one does. He continues his speech, complete with stirring background music. On Medbay, the ranger, Draken, is awake with a message for Delenn. A dramatic message with long drawn out vowels that Justin is going to have some things to say about. A number of minor races have made deals with the shadows out of fear of being overrun and now with dreams of conquest. The Grey Council's answer to this is the problems of others are not our concern, which is some horseshit Delenn is going to have an opinion about. Back at the awkward CPK picnic table of sedition trending towards rebellion, Major Ryan, who now has a name, breaks the bad news. General Haig was killed in the last firefight. 
They discuss how martial law is being accepted on Earth. Ivanova apparently didn't study the history of the 45th American president and the disposition of the coup, and they're holding out hope that maybe Mars can be the focal point of resistance when word comes. They started bombing Mars. We cut to the inside view of a bomber as it begins to bomb a civilian target, with the audio of the civilian populace begging him not to fire on the women and children. He does not hesitate, and fires. Back on B5, Delenn about to go teach some motherfuckers. And Delenn is all, be careful. And she's like, bitches better be careful of me. Ivanova and Jakar walk up and Delenn tells Jakar, you've changed. You're not the same. I'm not, not quoting here. Usually I'm quoting when I say something like that, but I'm not. She's just like, I get you. You've, you've had a moment. It's cool. Uh, she recognizes that he's become a seeker, like the kind she respects. And you can see the respect she gives him. Ivanova has gotten her a priority departure. So she's off to show the Grey Council the back of her hand. Things get more fun as she's leaving. The Churchill arrives just as Delenn takes off. It's another rebel ship, and her captain, Hiroshi, comes with grim news. But that's not all. A crowd watching ISN sees a man break into the newscast about how Clark is going to keep bombing Mars until they back down. He says that Proxima 3 and Orion 7, and if you think I didn't get those numbers reversed about eight times while trying to write this summary, boy would you be wrong have just seceded from the Earth Alliance over the bombing of Mars and are setting themselves up as independent nations. He says that they were told not to broadcast it, and as if on cue, gunshots and explosions can be heard in the background. The set begins to collapse, then ISN goes off air. Hiroshi's news is related and grim. Clark doesn't want B-5 to follow the two colonies seceding. Major Ryan offers to flee, but she tells him that the two ships, the EAS Agrippa and the EAS Roanoke, were dispatched before the two colonies seceded. They were sent here to take B-5 and make sure that it stays under Earth Force control. Ryan wants to bounce immediately, but because it's about the station and not about the, uh, and not about the two ships that are there, Sheridan knows that this is the moment. They've got to make a stand. Conversation fades dramatically into the background as Sheridan lets it sink in. They've got six hours. If this is where we make our stand, then this is where we do it. Which is a fucking weird sentence for him to say. I'm not entirely sure what he's getting at. Where are they going to put it? Where's the station going to go? Yeah, right? It now really is the awkward CPK picnic table of rebellion. He tells them that if it was just them, it would be one thing. You pay your money, you take your chances, which is a line I do not understand. It feels like he's making a reference or just being weirdly weird with his grammar. I don't know. I, I do not understand that line at all. Maybe one of you can enlighten me. But he points out that it's not just them. It's all the civilians. And what I suspect is far more important, he promised to lend that they take a stand against the darkness. Franklin soups helpfully points out that if they fight and lose, they'll be court-martialed and killed. No shit, Sherlock. Thanks for pointing that out. That's super helpful. <laughs> Sheridan is like, yes, numbskull. Indeed. Sheridan puts it to them, and Ivanova, bless her heart, is the first to say fight, and everyone else gets on board. They go to prepare the station to fight. Garibaldi asks if they should include the Narns, and Sheridan says, of course. They need everybody, and Jakar has guaranteed their loyalty, and he has kept every promise he has made, because he's fucking awesome, and you don't question Jakar. He wants every ship that can fly made ready to fly, 
and MedLab ready for chaos. Lastly, he goes to make a call and wants to borrow Drawl's holographic system. On the Great Council ship, some fucking fool tries to stand between Delenn and her goals. Delenn threatens to tear the ship apart, and the motherfucker looks like he believes her. Her speech here, which I'm not going to try and quote or summarize, is tremendous, where she outlines her ship demolishing skills. Again, I, I will not try and summarize it, but suffice to say, it's absolutely amazing where she lists the reasons why she is qualified to absolutely fuck your shit if you stand in her way. She rolls into the council and with zero hesitation starts to bust their Minbari balls. Scorn, fury, incandescent, righteous goddamn indignation. This speech is another absolute barn burner. She disbands the council and then with, as Justin describes it, swoleness, snaps the ritual staff and bounces out, followed by more than half of the council. Sheridan's call, meanwhile, turns out to be to his father. He tries to keep it casual without saying anything outright, but his father's not a fool. He knows why John is calling. Uh, his father shows the kind of character that explains why Sheridan is who he is, uh, and they have a tender moment saying goodbye before the call ends. This scene is terrific. We'll talk about this later. Uh, we, we have feels about this scene. I think if you listen to our last episode, you will know. From there, he heads to CNC and gets ready for shit to go down. He holographically projects himself all over B5, which I have thoughts about and we'll talk about. Randomly projecting himself into like every room in the station, apparently. Random hallways, bathrooms, private quarters, maybe. I don't know. It's weird and creepy. And it's like he just, they're not prepared for this. Just random tele holographic Sheridans popping up all over the station. Anyway. Uh, he announces that B5 it's is... It's like you're on the can and suddenly Sheridan... <laughs> Sheridan coming up out of the water between your legs. He tells... He announces to the station that B5 is seceding from the Earth Alliance until such time as Clark is removed from office and the crisis has passed. Sheridan tells Ivanova he doesn't want to use Drawl unless absolutely necessary and then tells the command staff that if they want out, now's the time. Only one person leaves. Ivanova looks at Corwin... Who is like, are you kidding me? I have a name now and like three lines an episode. I'm not going anywhere. Then Ivanova <laughs> requests permission to go fly a Star Fury because I guess dramatic tension? I don't know. Her excuse is completely silly, but whatever. TV. We get a tense waiting moment and then the jump gate opens and it's on like Donkey Kong. Sheridan says, your orders suck. And the enemies are like, yay, fuck off, Clark. Woo! And the battle starts. Uh, the music is dramatic. Lasers, missiles, and then the breaching pod hits. And you're like, okay, how bad could this be? I mean, it's a, you know, it's a breaching pod and space battle. Well, bad, my friends. That that That's how bad it could get. It, it, it gets bad and sad. And you know how they tell you that? The music. The, the music gets sad. It gets real bad. You get a real grim uh, version of the, the theme, the, the seasonal theme music. And the Narn are like, just fucking throwing themselves at these at this boarding party and they're dying like a lot of them and it sucks i hate that scene i hate it it's just awful i had to watch it again for this goddamn podcast i had, I had some feelings about it i didn't like it it was really bad guys it's really bad it's super rough to watch do not recommend it, it, it. really is I mean, I know I sound like I'm being hyperbolic for dramatic effect, but it yeah. sucks. That scene is really. It's, it's a fucking brutal scene. 
Yeah. The the sa- the sound of the actual fight cuts out. Yeah. And all you have is the music laying like over the otherwise silent like Narns getting slaughtered. Yeah. It and sucks. The it's... Narns are so good. They are following Jakar's beliefs now of dying for something, dying for each other and for for others. And boy, howdy do they. Boy, howdy do they. Outside of the ship, or outside of B5, uh, other people are dying that we care a whole lot less about. Specifically, the Churchill. The ship is burning, so Hiroshi plows it into the Roanoke. Uh, Ivanova, who I honestly expected better of, uh, is rubbernecking like your mom on a crowded highway, but rather than bumping into the car ahead of you and then blaming it on on them, runs into another ship and then has to eject, which is an expensive mistake. Fucking, it's a fighter jet. She just wrecked a fighter jet because she wasn't paying attention. Smooth move, man. Meanwhile, the Alexander torches the Agrippa's engines while the security forces deal with the boarding party. And B-5 seems to have won the day. It's a good thing this stopped when it did. We couldn't have taken much more, Corwin says, completely fucking jinxing it. And then literally on cue, sure enough, the jump gate opens and three new ships come through. Before Sheridan can even smack Corwin upside the head for jinxing it, four jump points open above the station and Delenn rides in with four Minbari warships. She declares B-5 is under her protection. What follows is the biggest goddamn swag line of the show. This is Ambassador Dylan of the Minbari. Babylon 5 is under our protection. Withdraw. Be destroyed. Negative. We have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ship. Why not? Only one human captain has ever survived battle with the Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If you value your lives, be somewhere else. It's such a good line. It really is the Minbari move, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. And and I love I love that this particular line it speaks like directly to all the grandstanding we've seen from a bunch of people on Earth of like, oh well if we had the Mimbari War now, we would totally we would totally kick their asses and then they, they actually come into this situation and they're like, No, no thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Earth shows up with an entire task force and but just like and and the Mimbari show up with four cruisers. And it's like try my bitch. Yeah. Nope. Uh, They fuck right off, uh, which is absolutely the right call. Props to them for not being complete goddamn idiots and trying it. We cut to inside and the carnage as a result of that boarding party. We see dead and wounded Narn and humans, uh, one of whom looks weirdly like a character from the West Wing, which is weird and always freaks me out. Um. Anyway, it's it's like uh you know Donna is it dying does it floor, does right? it looks just like Donna it's freaky it's weird I'm I'm it's every time anyway oh uh, Garibaldi is obviously injured and for a moment you hope maybe he's dying but no because 
we're not that lucky. Uh, sometime later in his office, uh, Sheridan and Major Ryan are talking. Ryan is going on the run to try and find other ships, but Sheridan offers him a safe port at B5 whenever he needs it. He also suggests that Sheridan might give a home to those pilots of Hiroshi's that were left behind when her ship was destroyed. Babylon 5 lost a whole mess of fighters, and they're not going to be resupplied anytime soon. So it's a nice little problem solved for everybody involved. Uh, Sheridan is happy to do that honor to Hiroshi by giving her her pilots and her fighters someplace to continue the fight, and they move on from there. I'm almost done, I swear to God. This is not my shortest summary. Not my longest, though. Probably a stretch. (laughs) On the way to meet Delenn, Ryan points out that Sheridan hasn't put his coat on. Sheridan says, no, he can't wear it anymore, not until all this is over. Uh, And then we see Garibaldi with a cane, which is disappointing because he's not dead, but it, it might cheer you up slightly to know that he was legitimately injured in the filming of that fight, and he's in actual pain while filming that scene. So, you know, depending on how much you actually dislike that actor, you might enjoy the sight of him hobbling around, you know, on what is probably a poorly made, not actual cane, but some some prop that they put together, and it probably doesn't work that great. They talk about the Sabbath, the fact that they are shipping out all of the Nightwatch people and everyone they know of that might possibly be a Clark sympathizer, but they're probably going to have a problem with sabotage, which is not at all telegraphing future plot lines. And then Delenn shows up. She says, hello, John. And it's super flirty. And you can see Sheridan's body language change as soon as she sees it. And Garibaldi does this weird, awkward, like, don't want to be here. Don't want to see mom and dad kissing. And, uh, John leads her to one side and gives her a super sweet thank you. Like, it's it's real sappy, uh, but it's nice. It's touching. She calls him her partner, and he kisses her hand, and it's not weird neckbeardy at all. It's legitimately nice. And then fucking Franklin has to fuck it all up by showing up with Ivanova. Franklin patronizes Ivanova for a bit, and then Ivanova says she wants Sheridan to see something. They go out onto the Zocalo to find the station has turned out to celebrate and thank the command staff. There's a lot of clapping, and then Delenn takes Sheridan's arm and he puts the arm around her. The end. Except for an ominous zoom-in on a torn-up Nightwatch poster. There you go. Yeah, so that was a a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's There's a lot of episode there. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit going on. And I have a whole fuck ton of notes, too, of, like, stuff that happened. But I, I need to start with one thing. And that is, this episode has this episode has such amazing Delenn moments. Her whole thing where she's, like, dressing down that fucking dumbass religious cast guy that meets her in the hall. And he's like, you can't see the Great Council. And she's like, bitch, please. I will try, fucking try and stop me. I I will fucking tear you in half with my bare hands like the Hulk. <laughs> it's so good. And then she gets in there, and that whole speech to the Great Council. There's no part of it that is not like spine chillingly good. Mira Furlan yes. is so on fire this episode. Every everything she says practically is just thundering charisma. She's so so turned on. Just radiating 
like moral goddamn certitude and indignation in this episode. It's so good. I fucking love her in this episode. She she really kills it. Yeah. We have so many things. I, I also really love the Sheridan content here. Yeah. Um as a as a known Sheridan shipper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they have such such good chemistry and you know, I like your point that you know, in a lot of other contexts like the you know kissing the back of the hand is like you think it's going to be super cringeworthy but it's not like it's it's super sweet yeah it works they sell it perfectly it's they have managed to make the the build of the, of this romantic relationship just work it's two people that live in this crazy intense situation and the evolution of this relationship into romance feels incredibly organic and these sort of cautious first moves here that Sheridan's starting to make like kissing her hand feels incredibly earned mm-hmm. and the tenderness of it i think we we used that word last episode for a lot of the stuff that for uh Sheridan the tenderness of it is i think what sells it there's nothing like He's not doing it to be demonstrative or like dramatic. It's tender. It's like yeah. this is him not being sure what like what he what's appropriate, but he wants to show her how grateful like his, his gratitude and make make a you know to show her how much she means to him. So this is what he does and it's it's really nice. It's a nice moment. It also ties into something that I really like throughout the show, which is how much of a range of emotions Box Lentner is able to show mm-hmm. for Sheridan. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of a lot of male leads for shows end up with like one emotion and it's anger. Yeah. Right? Or maybe another emotion and it's horniness. Yeah. Box Lentner and Sheridan really have such a wide range. And, you know, you uh, have moments where he's you know, at the verge of tears, uh, thinking about his wife, talking about his father, or you know, the, these tender moments with Delenn. And it really, it makes him such a good, well-rounded character. Yeah. And Box Lentner absolutely sells it. Um you know, that that I think that Boxlander is a really good choice for the role. Yeah, no, I I one hundred percent agree. Speaking of Sheridan and Boxlander just killing it, uh I want that call he makes to his dad is It's such a good scene. Uh in my notes I have it you don't even have to have father issues to get choked up at the scene with Sheridan and his dad. I mean it helps for sure. But I bet even if you have a perfectly healthy and normal relationship with your father, that shit hits home like Barry Bonds, aiming for left field. And I'm imagining that that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, this is, um, I, I just like, I want to shout out the actors, both, both the actors in the scene, because like, we've never seen Sheridan's dad before on the show. Like, he's not made an appearance here. This is like, he's going to appear in, I think, one other scene throughout, like, throughout the rest of the season. And just there is instant great chemistry between them. Yeah. Like for, for like, and they're talking over a screen. So like, I'm not even sure they're, they're not even in the same room. No. So, but it's like the, both, both actors just 
nail it so well. It, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Fun fact: the actor who portrays his father is Rance Howard, the father of Ron Howard. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Director of Solo. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, also, That's the, yeah. A fun note for uh, for this episode. It was the winner of the 1997 Hugo for Best Dramatic Presentation, and it fucking deserved it. I don't know what else was in the running that year. I probably could have looked it up if I were, you know, someone who did their due diligence. But uh, I don't really care because I can't imagine anything was close to uh, competing. So, yeah, this is it's um, it's a really good episode. The, the space battles are also very good. We don't get a sense of like much of tactics or anything. Yeah. I like there. I don't think there's really. We don't really get a sense of like how the battle's going beyond like ship blow up, which I think is fine. It's, it's okay. They have they have a limited number of frames that they can pay for. Yeah. But it's it's a uh, it's actually CGI that holds up pretty well, too. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I, okay, so I want to talk about a weird technology that's in play here. Oh boy, here we um, go. Oh, um, oh, and I, so, I think we're going to talk about the same thing. So, so this is specifically Earth has a weird technology that no other race seems to have. I, I've done like a little bit of precursory research on this, but um, Sheridan mentioned several times about like redirecting interceptors, but he's not talking about the Star Furies. Aren't those just PDCs, though? They're they're like it's a defense grid, but basically, yeah, they shoot. It's it's point defense cannons. It's just like yeah. that's the only. I think they're the only people we see use of the show. Well, I think I think it's partly that Earth is kind of low tech. Yeah, but Earth also has like these huge fuck off lasers that can just like carve through hulls. Yeah, but those also uh, there's. Apparently you can't aim them. They're just like pointed. They're like bolted onto the hull. Not just bolted yeah. onto the hull, but they're also wired up to the uh, to the to the fusion generators. And if you fire those things, it sufficiently drains the 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 reactor so that you can't use the jump engine for a while. Like it's a pick one jump engine or big goddamn laser gun. I kind of love that honestly <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i remember that yeah. from one of the novels or comics or something like that and i really enjoy that earth has pdcs yeah your ships are kind of fragile too yeah it's, they can like shoot down like pulse cannon stuff like i don't know how much like how much of like earth's like pulse cannon shit is solid projectiles it's a good question i have a lot of questions about b5 space spaceship technology because um like I found rules for the naval war game. <laughs> Interesting, and we and we know that the PPGs are sort of an energy weapon, right? I think yeah. ish. PPG stands for like like particle pr- it's particle a phased plasma gun. Yeah, plasma. That's what it was. I knew it God, was something. That's, that's like the worst. That's like the worst uh, acronym they could have made. Yeah, it's a PPG plasma gun. PP. People. And and the PPGs are essentially partly so that you don't blow a hole in the hull when you fire a gun. Yeah, I actually really like the idea behind them. I just think I agree with Justin. I think the name is fucking silly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the idea that it's basically a bullet that when it hits metal just goes splash. It's just a splash of energy against a hull. So yeah. that makes perfect sense that you would invent a firearm that you could 
unload a full clip of into the side of a wall and nothing would happen. You would not vent yourself into space, but you could absolutely liquidate someone if you needed to. Yeah. So maybe are, are the, are there gun, are the ship guns like the reverse of that? Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question. I looked this up. Apparently I couldn't look up the other Hugo winners, but I did look up who Agrippa was. Uh, um, oh, I did. I did find the other nominees. Oh, let's hear it. Um, so the for, it was for the 1997 Hugo Awards. So there was Severed Dreams, Star Trek First Contact, which is a shame it didn't win because it has the line assimilate this, um, which is <laughs> no comment. Perfect. Uh, Trials and Tribulations. Uh, uh, Independence Day. So I are like there are there are. Two deserving winners here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mean trials and tribu- tribulations, right? Trials and tribulations and Independence Day. I mean, I will put Independence Day on top of anything. And finally, Mars Attacks. Wow, Which that's I a, have no idea what that, that is. How did that I'm sorry. Out? Can we pause for? Would you like? You don't have any idea what that is? No. Mars Attacks. The the Tim Tim Burton, right? Yeah. The Tim Burton movie with the the aliens with the big heads and. Country music nope. and wow. does this have to be a bonus episode? We might have Should to. It be? That movie <laughs> is fucking yeah. bizarre, and there's a lot going on Patri- in that movie. I, Patreon I like content. How, I like yeah, how there I you said go. Dad and Jude is the one who says bizarre. Wow, that's a, that's a stacked list, this, though. All of those yeah, are this, like this being up against Trials and Tribulations, my favorite Star Trek episode of all time. That's a that's a toughie. I mean, it definitely beats the shit out of First Contact, which, like, don't get me wrong, it's a fun movie. But like, it, yeah, Zephyr Cochran movie. is a tremendously entertaining character. But no, no contest which wins there. Like, Angry Delenn or Zephyr Cochran. Like, I'll take Angry <laughs> okay. Delenn any day I, of the week. I'm sorry, but I do have to stand for this. Is the speech from Independence Day? <laughs> is the, I, the, I will counter with. Thirsty Dax. God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just I, saying that that was that. There, this is a wild field. This field is all over the place. Like trying to compare these is. Well, it's like even it, then you he had the hands of a doctor. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like going to Fry's Electronics the day before it shut down, a grocery store, uh, a sex toy shop. A dumpster and picking one item from each of those places and then trying to say which of these is best to an alien. Like, God, it's like, I mean, how would you even compare severed dreams and Mars attacks? Like, they're not even. (laughs) They they technically are in the same genre. Explain that to an alien. I mean, uh, yes, they are both images projected onto your brain, but like, <laughs> okay, we need to punch out of this conversation. Um, yeah, Pierce Brosnan's head on a dog—that is a thing that is in Mars Attacks versus Severed Dreams. I'm, pull, I'm so pulling I, the plug of this conversation. Somebody want to talk about ship names? Uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, talk about the Agrippa. So, Shara uh, uh, Delenn, right? That's that's one of the ship names. Yeah, but don't. Okay. Uh, 
I looked up. I'm here all night. I looked at the two ships that. So obviously, there's the Churchill. We all know Churchill. Uh, war criminal. War criminal. War racist. Starved a bunch of people. Grandstander. Yeah. Uh, so that continues the Grand Babylon Five tradition of naming ships after war criminals and terrible people, human rights violators. So that's fine. That's that's that tracks. Um, and then we've also got the Alexander, which again also a man who conquered half the world and put countless millions to the sword. So that's fine. That's that's great. Keeping again to the tradition. And then we have Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa, who was a Roman general who helped bring the first Roman emperor to power. And to the best of my knowledge, was not a war criminal any more than any other general or Roman was. Um, <laughs> Which means he took slaves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he was famous primarily for building uh, the aqueducts and baths in Rome. He was Interesting. he he was a famous tactician and general who helped the emperor come to power, but then he spent the rest of his time building in, like civil infrastructure all over all the fuck over Rome. At least at least Sheridan's old ship has a good name, the Agamemnon. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so the the uh, as I recall reading somewhere the all of the Omega class destroyers, which are we 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 get two ship models for Earth. Um, there's like the smaller the the smaller cruisers that are uh, sort of blocky, and then there are the bigger destroyers with the spinny bibs. Yeah, um, which is and the, stupid. The latter of those are the, yeah, we know. The 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 <laughs> latter of those are the Omega class destroyers, which apparently all have Greco-Roman names. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the Roanoke, which is and I I looked this up on Wikipedia because I really put some effort into it. Um. The Roanoke is the name of a number of U.S. Navy boats, as well as a colony that went missing and a really shitty season of American Horror Story. I'm guessing that this ship, since most EAS ships are named after war crimes, was named after the AHS season. But your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was a joke that um, certainly built I got there. I got. I took my time, but I got there. I want to call out one of the one of the best characters in this episode, um, the Narn Customs agent <laughs> dealing with Lando. Yeah, God, Karen Malari, you mean? Yeah, Lando was just like your old, like it was just like this really racist person. It was like waiting in line at the grocery store, like openly comments on something on a tabloid cover. Yeah. <laughs> Londo yeah. Malari would not wear a mask. That's my comment on Londo Malari tonight. Yeah. Londo would be that person who presents a card that he has a medical exemption from wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's accurate, though. My cataracts. I can't wear a <laughs> mask because of my cataracts. So th- we get this in a we get this in a shot of Earth bombing civilians on Mars. But um, it's pilot bullshit, so we're gonna we're gonna wave this flag here. I'm gonna claim this territory. We get a new Star Fury. Yeah, the Thunderbolt Star Fury, which uh, looks sort of—I don't think they got the model entirely. They—they hammered out the model entirely. We're going to be having an episode where we're bringing on an expert to talk about planes, to talk about the Thunderbolt. 
And so I can have somebody else who cares about as much about fictional plates as I do. I mean, I, I care, just not a lot. Just not as much as I do. Like I said, we're bringing on somebody who's going to give as many shits as I do. That's true. I care like enough. I I care to know just enough to be wrong enough to bother you. That's enough. That's how much I care. I want to know just <laughs> enough to be wrong enough to make your head hurt a little bit. I hate you. And I get that a lot. The notable thing that we will learn about the Thunderbolt is that it is capable of atmospheric flight. So that's why we see it bombing a planet. Oof. Cheers, Earth Force. S- speaking of crimes, let's talk about that Bari Ranger. <laughs> I want to know what this dude's direction was to choke on the scenery for these lines. They rejected the strength of unity for the dream of conquest. (laughs) What a weird delivery. God, it's so, like, every time I watch it, it's just so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a, so here's the question I have. What were the other takes? I, I don't want to know. What's it, was it like? Was it like Veer waiting for Lando's wives? It's a yeah. pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. They rejected the dreams. <laughs> God, it's just he's always like this. It's it's just such a it's such a weird choice that actor is in the hateful eight by the way which is like that's his main that's his biggest acting credit which is which is like huh does he say anything about dreams i don't know it's been a while since i've watched the hateful eight there's only so many racial racial slurs i can take in one movie no comment uh i i want to talk about hiroshi uh i want to Uh, dial down the bullshit just a little bit um and talk about hiroshi because she's I think it's possible that it's a problem that we introduce an awesome Asian woman captain and then proceed to blow her up. I think that. I mean, nobody in this episode, re- nobody who guessed in this episode reappears. So I mean, like, eh, it would have been cool if we had, like got a military resistance contact in her. Yeah, and we like spun that around as a plot line. But yeah, I mean, it would have been it would have been cool for her to live. Yeah. That's yeah, I'm said, I'm personally assuming that Ryan dies in like three days too. Yeah, that said, she's fucking awesome. She has like a super no bullshit attitude. I didn't notice this, but I'm glad that you did. Uh, your the point that you raised about her. Oh lipstick. yeah, her costuming is on point. Her the whoever did the costuming for her uh, matched her lipstick shade to the red trim on the Earth Force. Uniforms. I did not notice that, but that fucking kills me. That is so cool. Yeah, she just looks, her whole look is very like model of a major fucking crush you general kind of thing. She has yeah. this very like straight cut thing, but she has, she just looks professional as shit in a very cool way. And she goes out like a goddamn boss. Like if she had to die, like ramming the shit out of the other ship with her whole goddamn ship is an extremely like 
baller way to go down. Yeah. I don't know. I thought she was awesome and I thought it was, I just thought it was cool. I thought she's a cool character and I thought she was cool. Yeah. I, I wish that she'd won the coin flip between uh, between her and Ryan though, in terms of who survived. Yeah. Hard agree. Okay. Let's talk about the Narn. Uh, you got to make me talk about the sad Narn stuff now. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think this is interesting because it, I, I'm trying to remember, do we have a, do you have like a ballpark on how long it's been since the Narn got the Centauri off their world? It's like 20, 30 years. Uh, no, I don't think it's that long at all. I mean, it had to have at least been since the end of the Earth-Minbari War because Narn was selling weapons to them. Yeah. Uh, the Earth-Minbari War was a decade ago. Yeah. So like, and it's been two years since then. So that's at least like, I'd say 15, 20 years. Yeah. Fine, so I mean, though. like, there's there's a possibility that like a lot of Narn on the station are maybe not like it's at least like probably a lot like a lot of Narn on the station are probably like either diplomatic folk, merchants, and stuff. So they're probably not like used to like boarding actions. Which something that I very much enjoy about this is that boarding actions are just a fucking like wheat like separating the wheat from the chaff and just a butcher scythe going through this to answer your question the first narn occupation take ended in 2231 and this episode takes place in 2260 so that's almost 30 years okay yeah so that ballpark yeah so they're probably probably like this generation of narn are like traders and merchants not people who grew up in the resistance yeah they mostly i imagine most of the well most of them probably grew up in the remains of the resistance right but like they wouldn't have done the actual fighting probably yeah or they would have been like teenagers when they were doing it uh and anyways it's been like 30 years so i do think that it's like the style of combat here that is being portrayed is you mean leaping chest first into yeah I mean, it's it's basically like i the the nar do not have any idea like what to do here apparently like really it's yeah, just like they don't really yeah. have any tactical guidance and are just getting annihilated it's tragic yeah it's which rough. to be fair the, like the marines who are boarding pretty much take as bad as they give like you don't ever get like apart from like that first like wave you don't really ever get the sense that that the earth force will say loyalists quote unquote are actually doing any better yeah. they just get outweighed by reinforcements it's it's a pretty cool like stylistic choice i think to just show like the quote close quarters battle as just a massacre on both sides um, that just devolves very quickly into people hitting each other with their guns. <laughs> I just wish that they had given those Narns body armor because, like, the human security officers have body armor and the Narns don't, and it makes me angry every time I watch that scene. Like, I would sort of think that it would be like maybe they don't have a lot of like they don't have a lot of them because, like, anytime you see like a security team come in, like the captain is never wearing it. Yeah, well, that's because the captain has to be macho. It's one of those things that I'm just like, I just assume they only have like 10 Kevlar vests and those get to go to the bootlickers. <laughs> we we also have one of the most Sheridan lines, which is the um, we we won't we won't start this fight, but by God, we'll finish it. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Just his motto. Yeah, that the, it's just like he he's definitely somebody who's like, I'm never gonna go into a fight, but God damn it, I will win this fight. <laughs> All right, we are moving on to episode eleven, which is our official halfway point for the series, which is Ceremonies of Light and Dark, written by J. Michael Straczynski and directed by John Flynn the Third. I hate this episode. What? Well, no, let me take that back. I hate half of this episode. Okay, I'm just gonna throw hands. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we start off in CNC where the last of the Night Watch are being shipped off the station. Garibaldi has been put in a cast on his arm, not his foot. Thank you, <laughs> continuity error caused by a uh, real actor getting injured. Yeah. Whoopsies. And he informs the station is getting a little restless due to a comms blackout. This is due to Babylon 5's computer system being installed by Earth. Who could lock them out if they brought it back online without insurance? Garibaldi makes a comment about Sheridan being out of uniform. Sheridan says like he feels like he can't. Delana's meeting with several Minbari leaders, and she thanks them for their assistance in the Battle of Babylon 5. Fleet Captain Lenon has asked for a tour, and Delana agrees. When Delenn asks how Lanier feels about all of what's just happened, he says this is just prophecy, and what he feels doesn't matter. You're repressing a little bit here, buddy. <laughs> As Sheridan tours the Zocalo, a sniper watches him. The sniper is about to take a shot. He is interrupted by another man. The nominative leader of the Earth, quote-unquote, loyalists, he insists that Sheridan must not be made a martyr. Marcus returns from a business trip, and as Delenn and Marcus talk, they mention a rebirth ceremony. The one back from Parliament of Dreams. It's been a while, y'all. That's 50 episodes ago. Uh, But Marcus expresses some hesitation. We cut to one of the observation decks where the crew is holding a funeral for the dead officers. We pop back over to the Zocalo where Londo has Rifa visit for a drink. Londo expresses some distress about their many bush wars and he implies a relationship between Morton and Rifa, showing a holographic recording of Morton that he took back in the first episode of the season. He wants distance between Morton and the Centauri. Rifa dismisses it, but Londo is able to demand it. Under the threat of poison. Poison. Garibaldi starts to restart the computer so that they can wipe the old system and reinstate the command code so Earth won't lock them out. Delenn visits and speaks with Sheridan. She invites him and the rest of the staff to the rebirth ceremony. Even Londo is invited in a gesture of friendship. The Nightwatch remnants on the station have a new target, the Minbari. They are going to target Delenn's support to remove the Minbari warships from the equation so that Earth can come back in. Also, the sniper dude is a fucking creep who liked to torture prisoners of war. Just put it out there. Yep. Delenn visits Marcus in the alien bar and asks if he coming to the ceremony. Marcus skips that, decides to opt out. He skipped it during his training as a ranger and doesn't really want to go through it. Back in security, the computer comes back online, complete with a New Jersey snarky AI prototype that had been initially installed at the station. There is a B-plot running through this episode where they are eventually able to purge it. That is all we will talk about <laughs> yeah. with that plot line. Good call. Delenn then speaks with Londo, who is very unimpressed with the idea of the rebirth ceremony and refuses. Jakar is next, but he is simply too busy helping with the security at the station to attend. While waiting for Fleet Captain Lenon, Delenn speaks with Marcus and Customs. Marcus says he hates the idea of the rebirth ceremony because he has nothing to give anyone for the ceremony. He has lost everything to the shadows. Delenn says he has not given up his pain yet, and that he has not forgiven himself for being alive when everyone around him has died. I'm willing to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, that was your Hamilton reference in this podcast. We get one. Marcus leaves to go speak with security, and Lenon arrives. However, the Nightwatch revenants take them hostage. Oh no! The sniper dude tries to scare Delenn, but she uh, no-sells him pretty hard. Um, the hostage-takers call Sheridan command staff. The leader, Boggs, demands the cruisers leave or he'll kill the hostages. The show is serious. They kill Lenon's aide. When the sniper tries to intimidate Delenn and Lenon, Delenn expresses pity for him and provokes him, which causes the sniper to shoot Lenon in a rage. Marcus, furious, goes to the alien bar and beats up a bunch of criminals to get information. After he knocks out everyone in the bar, Lanier comes to get him, who is here to talk to Marcus about the rebirth ceremony. It is the last thing Delenn asked Lanier to do, and so he will see it done. Marcus tries to shove off Lanier and touches him, and the Vinbari just, like, lifts him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good moment. In a, in, a, in a touching scene where they sit among the collapsed bodies, Lanier gives Marcus his secret for the rebirth ceremony. Lanier loves Delenn. He knows that she loves another, but he will stay by her side. As they wrap up a pretty touching conversation, someone wakes up and Marcus goes into interrogation mode. Garibaldi and Ivana discuss the hostage uh, demand video and through, I will say, dubious forensics, find that he's near the cooling system. Marcus is able to provide the level. 14. Level four, uh, Section 14A has been sealed off, in fact, by security. Sheridan then provides his plan. They're going to surrender. The Minbari cruisers, in fact, they depart. And the Minbari tell Sheridan that they will hold him personally responsible for any harm that comes as a dilemma. A ruckus comes through outside the hostage taker's room, and people rush by. A coolant leak is coming from the fusion reactor, and Boggs evacuates with the hostages. The security team hits them in transit, and the sniper tries to throw a knife at Sheridan, but hits Delenn in the back. Sheridan chases after the sniper and beats him up, declaring no more. No hostages, no more Nightwatch, no more lies. In the aftermath of it all, we cut to Sheridan's office, where Lanier makes a report. The knife missed Delenn's organs, and she'll make a full recovery. Enthused by the possibility, they suggest that the rebirth ceremony can go forward, but Lanier says the time for the rebirth ceremony has almost completely elapsed. However, they all decide to take the rebirth ceremony to her. Sheridan visits first, and he has a gift for her, his uniform. And he expresses a secret, that when she was hurt, he was ready to kill the attacker with his bare hands. And that he realized that he had never told Delenn how much he cared. He cannot imagine a world without her in it. Garibaldi visits her next, and he gives her his uniform too, telling his secret. He's afraid all the time of what he might do if he lost control. Ivanova has hers as well. She loved Talia. Franklin is last, and he admits that he has a problem. Before they leave, Lanier has a gift. New uniforms, which look which mix a look of earth lines and Minbari colors. Seeing the crew staring, Sheridan jokes that no one's seen someone reborn before. Sheridan declares Babylon 5 reopened for business. I don't like anything about the hostage takers yeah they're really creepy they're a little bit too much they're too far they're... into the like caricature of bad territory to... they yeah. they they lean really heavily on a lot of like stereotypes of like how do you portray a creepy person by making them like visibly disfigured 
etc. And yeah. it's not good. Uh, also, I could really have done without the extremely graphic description of torture. Um, yeah. That was unnecessary. Mm hmm. Yeah. I also, the AI plotline is no. <laughs> it's incredibly dumb and a super waste of time in this episode, which, granted, had plenty of. I mean, it's not like I wanted more time on the tortures. Why couldn't we just have more Minbari religion or Marcus being an absolute dummy? Give us the red fruit. Yes. Explain the red fruit. Um, I don't know. They could have done so much with this episode. And instead, we get Garibaldi going head to head with like the AI version of Clippy and... I granted. Hey, hey, I see you trying to open a Google Doc. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> granted, that is his appropriate intellectual uh, nemesis, but still, Christ, I just hate that. <laughs> it's funny that you have severed dreams, which is such a fucking great episode, and then on either side, point of no return and ceremonies of light, which have between them one amazing episodes worth of content and one <laughs> trash episodes worth of content but it's all mixed up between the two it's not like it's one and one it's like i don't know like 60 yeah. 40 each you know because like we've got the rebirth ceremony on this one and all of the really great marcus and Lanier content yeah and then on and then the point of yeah yeah anyway i really love the rebirth ceremony uh yeah i really love that garibaldi is injured uh, I really love Marcus being just the dumbest, just the dumbest. He's <laughs> just like, I have emotions, so I'm going to punch things because I'm too stupid to fucking, I, I cannot process my emotions in a, in an, in an adult manner. He just wants to be like a sad boy, but he doesn't want to be like, he doesn't want to impose on other people to like fully vent his emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And so he decides to do the the, the time-honored trope of punching people who deserve it. Yeah. And there is a fantastic shot of this episode where Marcus is holding up the leader of, like, the cr the crime ring on the station. He's got the like, blood dribbling down his chin, right? He's, like, he's got, like, this feral look on his face. He's got blood on his mouth. And he's just holding this dude up by, like, the scruff of his shirt. And it is... Yeah. It's fucking I I particularly love this episode in contrast to Point of No Return where he's like he's showing the emotional maturity to try and like help Ivanova deal with her stuff, but then over here he's like got zero emotional maturity of his own, which is like Yeah. It's a great thing where he's just like perfectly capable of like helping other people do it. But he's like, but I, you know, me have feeling, punch bad guy. <laughs> it's real good. I love Marcus. Yeah. He's got some great quips too. Like the, when Delenn asks him, what are you afraid of? And he says, nothing. Well, spiders. Yeah. He's a good boy. Yeah. The, the other good quip is when Lanier finds him and he's like, well, back in training, they always said I had a lot of repressed anger. Guess I'm not repressed anymore. Yeah. It's okay, buddy. We we like we took the we took those drugs you made in arts and crafts to a psychologist. Yeah. 
<laughs> the the one the, the one counselor who exists in the Babylon Five universe. Yeah. How do we feel about the new uniforms? I love them. They slap. Yeah. They feel like a they feel like a good second draft of like the Earth Alliance uniforms, mm-hmm. where they're less they're less like leathery and like less militaristic. They're like what Minbari Starfleet would wear. I was just gonna yeah, say they, they feel very Starfleet to me. Yeah, they've got they've got nice clean lines. Um, the silver on black is a real good look. They they do have um, some. They do t- take some some elements from the Earth Alliance uniforms too, with the with the bars. Yeah, like they're like the, the sort of like the the lines of it, and the there's like specifically there's a there's like a white triangle on it that specifically looks like it's left unbuttoned, which is chef kiss. That is my shit. It's like it looks like it's a jacket that's unbuttoned, sort of. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's, just, it's so good. <laughs> Don't they have like a little coat thing that goes with them too? Am I misremembering that? Don't they have like a longer? Uh, I think that's I think that's a kind of dress uniform thing. They they have like a like little a tabard shawl. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a prayer shawl type of thing. Yeah. But I think that that's basically the the thing that you add on to make it a dress uniform. I really like those uniforms, and they're also very well tailored. Like that, the costumers did a very good job tailoring them. Yeah. To the cast, it just looks a lot cleaner. Everyone looks real sharp. I want to say, like, there's a lot of fiddly bits (laughs) with the Earth Alliance uniforms. Yeah. There's a lot going on with them. Like, there's the, like, there's the, like, the block of leather there that I think is just, like, it it looks like, it looks like a military uniform, but it's got all, like, the fiddly bits of a uniform, whereas, like, if you look at, like, SG-1, they're all wearing military uniforms all the time, but they're they're wearing BDs all the time. So it's, like, it, it, like it's all casual and more uniform. Mm-hmm. Fatigues? Fatigues, yeah. 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 On, on other Marcus quips that were in my notes, you can get more with a kind word in a 2 by 4 than just a kind word. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my, other one, my other one is a Londo line. <laughs> um, okay. We returned into the old ways, and poison was the instrument of choice in the Old Republic. Being a sentimentalist, I got here first. Oh, uh, yeah, and the delivery is really good. I mean, your delivery yeah. on that was also outstanding. Yeah. I do think the poison is a little bit, like, the poison is a little bit uh, dubious, I would say. <laughs> because it's like, it's, why don't you it, just pee that out at some point? I mean, the, the thing where they said, like, he said specifically, I, I don't like where they say it's in the bloodstream, but Londo says that it like insinuates itself into your intestinal linings and like that I could see. Okay. Well, they, I mean, there are drugs that like, like LSD, which gets up in your fat cells and just fucking hangs out and is just there. Okay. Yeah. Anything, anything fat soluble. Yeah. Uh, THC as well. Yeah. What? There was another one. That I, I seem to remember a, a legitimate binary poison like that that the Russians used, but I could be mistaken. There's also the possibility that Lund is just bluffing. Yeah, which would be hilarious. That, that I, I honestly was sort of expecting that for a thing. I don't think we ever know. Yeah. Yeah. The the Soviets did this with chemical weapons. Oh, that's what it is. That's where I know this from. That this is the exact same. Like they they use the similar thing in the movie Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie. 
<laughs> That's what it was. Wow. On the list of things I was not expecting there to be a reference to wow. tonight. Triple I X. I just came out like, that was, yeah. Uh, Jesus. The, the 2002 movie Triple X features a Soviet-made binary chemical weapon codenamed Silent Night. In the movie, the chemical was acquired by the terrorist group Anarchy 99 and their leader, Yargi. I love it so much. And they wanted to launch it from an autonomous solar-powered submarine called Ahab. Wow. I I honestly kind of... Wait, wait, wait. Solar-powered submarine? (laughs) Yep. Yep. I did not catch that, and I'm glad you did. Because this is... This is like some questions. sliding. Do- this is like some screen door on a submarine levels of stupid. Okay, can we be done with this episode? This I hate this episode. Do we love? Okay, no, we can't. We have to talk about. I, I think we secrets. need to talk. I think we need to talk about the the secrets. Yeah, uh, I think we are all probably on the same page that uh, Ivanova's secret m- makes us all angry and happy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're all there. Yeah, I I wish that for Garibaldi's they had just left it as I'm afraid all the time. Yeah, yeah, because he always says I'm afraid all the time, and I'm like, you know what? That's actually good. Like that that would fit into the character so much, and like it's it would. But then it has to become a man pain thing, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, what I would do if I lost control? What are you, like, the oh. Hulk? Like. But but like if they just left as I'm afraid all the time, that would explain so much of his toxic masculinity. Yeah. Garibaldi's just a shitty character. When we uh talk Warner Brothers into letting us remake this show, uh we we will have to have a long conversation about how we're going to rehabilitate this character somehow. Him and Franklin. For different Jesus. reasons. Um yeah. Franklin's answer to this is uh, I have a problem, which is fucking cheating because, like, everybody knows he has a problem. Like, it's not a secret. This is like me saying, going to a rebirth ceremony and saying, I'm a snarky asshole. And then, and then, like, Delenn being like, Yeah, that counts. It's like, No, no, that doesn't count, dude. Secrets are things people don't know. You can't state the obvious and get and get a fancy new uniform out of it. It's like going up to a vending machine and just being like, here's a dollar and just like miming, putting a dollar in and expecting candy to come out. Uh, on the other hand, you it does have the implication that he's finally admitting it to himself. Don't get deep with me. I'm trying to dunk on Franklin. I don't want your, your truth and legitimate analysis. Fine. Fine. Yes, you're right. It's absolutely what, I mean... He the the person he's telling that secret to is is is, is himself. Uh, yeah. He's coming. He, he's in, acknowledging that he has a problem to himself. But if you're going to be, if you're going to take away my bit and try and do legitimate analysis about Franklin, jeez. Sorry, um, <laughs> we gotta. Um, and, and and John Sheridan is just I drink respect women juice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really yeah. is but but like I mean there, there's just some good lines between this and several dreams of like John says like when she shows up that seeing you when she's like delivering the, the speech yeah is the finest thing I've ever seen yeah 
And it's just like, you sap. I love you, you sap. He, he, he just really, really likes Delenn. Like, he's just all about Delenn right now. Yeah. And, and Lanier's uh, revelation, I'm sure that won't come back. Yeah, right? Yeah, that, I, I'm sure that this won't. And I'll, this I'll leave that at that. So there are two things that I want to call out before I think I'm done. Which is that we get Garibaldi's actual rank in this episode. Garibaldi has uh, rank. He's chief warrant officer. Oh, yeah. It's it, he's a chief. Like he, he's a he's a he's a chief warrant officer in the Earth Force. Name. Huh. Which is basically this thing between NCOs and enlisted officers. I thought he was a civilian. That's funny. Wait, but but I guess he wears the uniform. No, yeah, no, he's. Yeah. We also get the command codes. Or like the command uh, words for each of the yeah. each of the the crew, and they're all very characterful. Yeah. Characterful. Sheridan's is Obsidian. Yep. Uh, Ivanova's yep. is Griffin, and Garibaldi's is Peekaboo. Yeah, very characterful. As you, yeah, characterful is exactly the right word. Very characterful yeah. choices. It's on point. Yeah. The only way they could have made it more so is if uh, Sheridan's was Delenn. <laughs> also, I do want to shout out Delenn's incredible mom energy when she's trying to like get everybody to attend the the rebirth ceremony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It, it's just uh, it, it's delightful. Yeah. And and as she's like lying there on the hospital bed, and like everybody's coming and like confessing their secrets, and she's just like, "Good job." Yeah. Like just silently, like. Just being like, approve. Good job. Good job, everyone. Yep. Because she actually doesn't... Does she speak to Sheridan? She doesn't speak to any of the others, certainly. Yeah, I don't remember. Which it's always like... That scene always feels a little bit odd to me because like we have the context that, you know, this is a ceremony that she wanted to happen. But in action, it kind of feels like all of these people are barging into her hospital room while she's very tired and being like here's my uniform and my deepest secrets have fun and she just look she she does also look very tired she does and it's it's like uh, because she, i always feel like maybe they could have dressed the scene a little bit better and with that i think that's a good point for us to close for the evening Next time, we're going to be covering episodes 12 and 13, Sick Transit Veer, and A Late Delivery from Avalon. Yes. Until next time, fuck off, Earth. Later, bitches. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.